podcast with John Just, Chief Learning Officer, no B4. If I don't do that, my son, who does the editing, he just starts screaming at me, Dad, <laughs> what? I need to know exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Probably need to give my, my, my son a sh quick shout out if he's listening to it. To be like, Hayden, thank you. Thank you for the help. It's now episode number, I think we're at 39 or 40. So, um, John, welcome to the podcast, to the movement. Just a, a pleasure to have you on. Yeah, great to be here. Uh, thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. John, as a chief learning officer, you know, and you know, I've had conversations with different functions within the organization and the audience knows we're pursuing this question of what is the future of people initiatives. We're now kind of double clicking on what is consumerization of the employee experience look like and who is going to own it. So I kind of, some days I feel like I'm uh, one of those machines that used to kind of bouncing around. I forget what the name is. Uh, the Plinko. Exactly, exactly. I'm, I'm just between functions. So just today was a CHRO. Uh -huh. I spoke to CISO, which is a chief information security officer about uh, how do you consumerize cybersecurity. But with you, we, we had really cool fireworks where we talked about why chief learning officers should expand capabilities, right? To include some things that we see in the marketing suite, include the marketing, analytics, and product management. And you can't, John, John you blew my mind. I was like, whoa. Well, well, he gets it, he gets it. And then you said, hey, training as a marketer, right? So where I want to begin this conversation and we'll have a lot to cover and I want to be systematic for audience that's, that's listening because I, I'm confident that what they're going to learn today, they can make actionable. Marketers start with business outcomes, right? As a chief learning officer, right? how do you think about the business outcomes that you would be taking on? Yeah, it's interesting that you brought up talking to a CISO, like a, a chief information security officer. Um, when you talk about learning, uh, you know, these days, uh, hackers are attacking the humans. So I think in the movies, we think, oh, hackers, they're attacking, um, you know, uh, systems. Um, but what hackers have found, and we've seen this personally as well, is that they'll send us a phishing email that we can fall for, or they'll compromise our password. So those are things that the intervention for that is education. The thing that we need to do is empower our, uh, our colleagues, um, the employees within the organization to be able to respond to those threats, report those threats, and, and honestly not fall for them as well, help each other not fall for them. And when we talk about consumerism of people operations, this is applicable to their um, their personal lives as well. We've been doing cybersecurity education for a long time. And for a long time, uh, it was a checkbox, like a lot of things, like compliance education and a lot of the things we'll talk about. But I think the fact that the threat of cybersecurity um, being an asset, the human component being an asset or uh, being a hindrance, depending on how educated they are, has really shined a light on the fact that we have to train our organization, uh, train our individuals to be able to spot these threats, identify them, uh, and be part of that human firewall that protects the organization. And, and as we do that, uh, people are getting a benefit from this. Uh, they're getting attacked individually as well. They might be getting their Instagram taken over uh, by a hacker they can identify these threats. So there's something, if we can make a connection to it as a value to them personally, 
and give them something to connect to the overall organization's mission and how they could help the organization execute on that rather than just going, okay, well, here are the basics, uh, you know, take this module once a year or worse yet, come in and get donuts and learn about it uh, from a speaker once a year, but have ongoing education about the latest threats and how they can protect themselves as well as the organization. They see the benefit to that. And, and by the way, it, you can have great content and I recommending having great training content and using gamification and using all of the latest techniques, but relevancy is key. Just like we talk about marketers, it's got to be relevant to me. I've got, why do I care? Why is this important? And if the training is not explaining to me why I should care, why this is important and what my role in it is, then it's not going to be relevant to me. And thus, I'm, I'm not going to pay that much attention and it's not going to be that valuable. I'm, I'm right there with you. This actually makes me think of, you know, when I was um, writing the book, the, the Science of Story and, and interviewing folks for, for In Column, we always talked about this link between personal growth professional growth, organizational growth. Yeah. Um, but, but, but before we move off the business outcomes, what I'm, what I'm curious about is uh, what's the spectrum of the business outcomes that you would think you could help enable for the organization? Would you work, is, is revenue one of them? Is it net promoter scores, retention? Is there a line or a limit to which outcomes you could be a part of or be an enabler, leading? That's kind of, that's what I'm focused on first. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think there is. I think that it's, um, I think that we're very people-driven organizations these days. Even if we're manufacturing something, even if we're, uh, even if the end product is not the people, it's not a services organization, there's people involved with making sure that that product is what it needs to be, um, is sold correctly. So chief learning officers around the world need to be understanding the key business outcomes and invested in those and uh, leveraging the tools that we have now, modern instructional technology and the tools that we have now with the web. Uh, we're well beyond, there was this period where we took training and it was just PowerPoints and people talking. And then we took that and we put it on the web and we thought, wow, we're very proud of ourselves. We've done it now. But really what we did was just replicate a bad model. Uh, that was the model we had to use because we had to have one speaker at a PowerPoint and we had to pull everybody in because it wasn't the best. Uh, it was the most efficient way to do it at the time. But now we have this individualized instruction that people can, can interact with. And the, the web allows us interaction. So, you know, it's sure, do we need to still do direct instruction? We need to provide instructions for things. We need to show demonstration videos. We should do all of that, but that should be interspersed with knowledge checks and interactives that are intellectually stimulating, mm. that allow the individual to uh, actually uh, connect with the material mm -hmm. as opposed to just being a receiver of that material. Uh, and not, I'm not talking about just multiple choice questions. I'm talking about gamification. I'm talking about the things that are uh, have interesting visual components to them, infographics that I can interact with and I can explore mm -hmm. are, are much better than, uh, hey, here's some information. I'm going to ask you a simple multiple choice question. Now, not to discount multiple choice questions. I'm a big believer in once we've done all of this, I want to quiz you to make sure you understand the material. But what I'm talking about is actually engaging with them, interacting like you and I are doing. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the best way to learn from each other, right? We've been doing it for uh, tens of thousands of years. We've been interacting. And we have the web as a communication medium to be able to do that. So by using web technologies, we can simulate these environments where we are interacting with the content at scale. And, and there really is no uh, limit to how we could do that. The limit is how much resources we can garner from the organization. Mm-hmm. And there's a, that comes full circle to if we are going to have a real effect on the business outcomes, we should be able to explain the return on any investment that we make. So if we look at the return, the investment that we're making on, uh, you know, sales training, you mentioned, well, let's look at where, what problem are we trying to solve? Let's partner with the sales organization and sales leadership and have them identify for us. What are the outcomes that they want to see happen? What do they feel like training could do? And then back into, okay, what would the investment need to be to make that happen and measure it Mm -hmm. without measurements? It's not measuring. Did everybody complete it? Did everybody, uh, of course, you've got to do that. Did everybody pass the scores? What were the interactions? I'm talking about measuring the outcome that we're going for. Did we increase sales in the areas that we targeted? You and I talked about the pillars of the future people initiatives that we've distilled. And, and for us, the first one is success measured not by activity, mm-hmm. but outcome. And having a chief learning officer that walks into you know a sales leader's office says, okay, by what percentage do you want to increase revenue? We're going to partner with you. Yeah. That is our joint focus, as opposed to we're going to deliver this many seminars, donut uh, eating sessions. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Just... Uh, that was a, a good good way to visualize it, and and you know when you and I John spoke and and in this discussion it's like it's it's interesting to almost have this marketer mindset that you're introducing throughout the experience. You even talked about you know how would you how would the customer internal customer review the experience, and you said stars, yeah, right. How many stars would they give to keep it simple? So how far does this analogy or does do practices and tactics that are external, how far do we take it to bring it toward the internal audiences? I mean, as much as possible. I mean, that's the, the answer. And in different environments are going to be able to utilize this uh, in different ways. But I think there, there are all kinds of ways for many times that we measured the, uh, the how training was received by the trainees. And a simple way to do this is at the end of the training, as opposed to asking them all these specific questions on a Likert scale, let's just ask them, how many stars would you rate that training? Mm. Um, You might break it out into, was it useful to me? That's the the most important one I'm worried about, right? Was that that relevancy we talked about earlier? How was the presentation of the format? How much time did it take? People are always worried about being concise. Your business leaders are also going to be worried about you know, don't make it an hour when it can be 10 minutes worth of content. We don't need to fluff things up. Let's be efficient, concise with our content and direct and make sure we can get the business objectives in the shortest amount of time possible. There's this, you know, old thinking that, oh, well, if it's training, we're pulling people together, we need to at least make it a half an hour, or an hour. No, maybe we need to make it five minutes a month, right? If it's that big of a concept and break it into smaller pieces so it's digestible. But I could have a quick survey with just five stars on it, an open comment box, and I can rate it. And uh, the end, end users, your, your trainees, will then come back with data that you can improve upon your programs. 
um, we can look at this data and we can compare it to the last time we had a, a training program. How did that rate? Uh, did people really respond to it? Um, and I've talked with many organizations uh, that partner with us. And a lot of times they're surprised with what makes a connection. Banks that are really serious. And then all of a sudden they, they roll out something funny and, and uh, you, you know, they, they think that's against our culture. And they get great response from it because guess what? They're serious all day. Mm -hmm. And you never know what's going to make that connection. So what do marketers do? They experiment. They don't, they don't just uh, go with what they've done. They, they do small experiments. They don't do big risky experiments, but they do small experiments and they iterate from those. And so there's a lot we can learn from that discipline as educators to make sure that we're making, we're taking chances. We're doing it in piloted ways. We're collecting data about it. And then we're presenting that data back to the overall executive leadership and going, here's what we learned. It, it turns out that this is very well accepted and we've hit on something with this game we rolled out. You know, this educational game that everybody thought, oh, well, it's it's a serious business. We're talking about a, a bank compliance issue. We're talking about money laundering. This is serious stuff. We can't make it a game. Roll out a game, collect the data, come back to the executives and say, let's look at last year we did something more traditional. It was like a recorded webinar that we posted. That rated 3.5 stars. This rated 4.5 stars. And let me share with you some of the comments because I did a detailed comment analysis of this. Some of the themes I see in the comments that come through. And some of them are, I felt more engaged and connected to the content. Something along those lines. That's the sort of stuff that we can quantify and collect data on that really helps uh, build that case and that story. And then that's part of the expanded capabilities to be marketing. You mentioned analytics. That's what we're discussing now. Yes. And we'll at some point talk about product management. But what also will be cool is to correlate. This becomes a, a leading indicator. It's okay. We enjoyed this training experience now. It's not a seminar. It's experience. Yes, yes. And uh, we gave bigger, better reviews. Right. This cohort also produced better in whether it's cybersecurity, maybe measured as an outcome, revenue, or whatever the business outcome is. And now you're connecting those dots clearly to justify and build a case yeah. for scaling, expanding the programs to show clear ROI. Definitely. And, and that, that's what gets you, those, those outcomes are what get you more resources to do more experiments and, and uh, tackle more business cases. And that's fun. I mean, that's what we want to do. We want to make a difference within our organizations. I think all people in the leading um, uh, training organizations and training organizations in general, they got into this because they wanted to make that fundamental difference. And sometimes I think we slide back into the the mindset that, well, we're doing our best. We're trying our best. Uh, and, and maybe we can't fix everything with training. And, and, and of course, that's true. You can't fix everything. But are we doing our best? Uh, or do we have high enough expectations? Uh, a lot of times people said, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, there's only so much you could do with online learning, for instance, right? Mm. And now these days, you see amazing online learning that people are actually engaged with and interested in. And so the bar has sort of been raised. Mm -hmm. uh, and going back to the whole concept of marketers, this the, the folks within our organization are using Netflix, are using Amazon Prime, are on Hulu, um, Disney Plus, and they are experiencing high production value uh, content constantly, or they're on TikTok and, 
and Instagram reels, and they're getting these short pieces of content. There's a lot that we can learn as trainers from that. Um, there's a lot we can learn in terms of production value, in terms of making things shorter. Uh, feature films are not as big anymore. Now people will watch a series of content that is longer than feature films and binge it and invest in it. And so we need to think about that in terms of, from a training perspective, maybe we need, if, if you say the requirement is we have 60 hours, 60, excuse me, 60 hours, that would be a lot, 60 minutes of training this year um, on a particular topic, who's to say you can't break that up over quarters at least and do 15 minutes per quarter? Uh, a lot of the, if you talk to your legal team, a lot of times they'll say, yeah, we just have to cover that in an annual year. It doesn't have to necessarily be one training. And it, so if it's a compliance topic and we have a minimum requirement, um, such as sexual harassment training, there's a two-hour requirement for the state of California. Um, well, that's not that doesn't mean that we have to have everybody sit down for two hours and and, mm -hmm. and do this. By the way, breaking it up like this, psychologically, when I come in and I see, oh, it's not two hours, I just have this series that I have to complete whenever I can complete it through the year. Even though it's the same amount of time, it makes a huge difference. Just like we're talking about with Netflix breaking their feature films into these series. Still, people want to watch films every once in a while, but for the most part, breaking it into smaller pieces make it that much more digestible. Um, and, and even myself, I know that about this phenomenon and I have to take our own training. And, uh, and when I come in and I see something in 60 minutes, I'm like, oh, right away. But if I see, okay, I've got four 15 minute modules that I can do, even though I know we have bookmarking too. I know I can leave off where I, it, it's still that, that initial sense of, wow, that's gonna be uh, challenging for me to fit in and it seems like a lot versus breaking it into these smaller pieces. So it's those fundamental things that we can learn from media in general and apply to people operations in general and, and within training specifically that I think make a big difference. And, and it's not going to be overnight. No. We're talking about bringing an entire mature, relatively mature industry to repurpose portions of it for different audiences. And you and I talked about, you know, not everything is the same in those audiences. There are clear distinctions that need to be accounted for. Mm -hmm. um, you and I also had a, a, a bit of a debate, personalization versus relevance. Yeah. And it's a reflective of not just you and me. I've had this conversation internally within Prohabits organization, externally, is it personalization? But then the, the debate could be, well, personalization is at a name. Yeah. And that's personal. Is that personal really? Well, or so, is it about a Yeah, ahead, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's 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 an interesting um it's an interesting debate and I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle, right? <laughs> Which is people feel like they want something and need something that is tailored to them. Um that's a that's a fundamental uh psychological driver is that I am this special person and especially in our cultures here in the West, you very individualized cultures uh, go back to the media. The media has trained us the hero story, right? Go back to uh, films. Uh, there's there's distinct characters within that. Um, so we buy into that quite a bit. However, uh, I, I think there's there's a limit to resources, obviously, that you can get in training, <laughs> right, to begin with. So you can't have this personalized experience for literally everybody. Um, and having people feel like they have some buy-in and some say 
the surveys I mentioned earlier, if they see some of their feedback coming through mm-hmm. and they feel like there's a response and there's some changing tactics to the sentiments that they express, that's going to go a long way toward on that spectrum of completely personalized and generic, right? It's going to go a long way to making them feel like they're being heard. Um, there's individual feedback that's being listened to and provided um, in terms of future iterations. And you could do that on shorter timelines if you're doing at least quarterly and, and monthly training to be able to respond to those um, and put something out. But I, I don't, I'm not a big believer in when we do focus groups, we do other work, people tend to fit into characteristics and categories. And although they feel like they're that much different, they oftentimes have the same drivers, they have the same wants and needs, and we could tap into those and marketers tap into those mm-hmm. and they use them on mass to influence behavior. So if we want to influence behavior to drive our organization toward the organizational goals, we should use those resources and tap into the mass um, resources that are available and those trends overall and drive the organization because people influence other people. And if you can influence the mass of the people within the organization to do what you would like them to do, other people will follow or, or sort of fall off. Um, and it's about culture. The culture in an organization will eat strategy for breakfast. <laughs> uh, so if you can influence the culture and have the culture in mind as you're designing training, developing training, contracting training from the outside, um, selecting what training you're going to be using, and you have those feedback loops, you can have a big influence. Totally. And you mentioned culture, and, and I am evaluating, do I, do I go there? There's just so much to cover in, in these discussions. We're talking about such big, big items. So as I'm looking at our title today, I want to stay true to that and yeah, yeah. think about, you know, the we talked about marketing, we talked briefly about analytics, which we can spend hours on, and yes. we're touching these topics at the high level. The one that I am really curious about that has been coming up more and more recently is product product management. And yeah. I think about a chief learning officer in product management. And then I hear PayPal a couple of days ago during an episode talk about uh, the PayPal leader, Beverly was amazing, talked about how do you think about HR as a product? And then I just started over the last couple of days thinking is product is technology yeah. and technology is in all aspects of our lives. So now all aspects of our lives really are, are a product. Not to say we're being productized. That's different. Right. We're we're using these products. So, yeah, yeah. you know, John, where I'd love to go next, specifically around product, is to start to depart from our current state and it's you know really start to fit focus on the future. As you think about the future mm-hmm. of product management in the world of chief learning officer, what what does that future look like? Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned it earlier that our our customers are the internal customers within our organization. And so if we're targeting those customers, um, we have to understand enough about them, what their needs are, what their drivers are, like a product manager we need to do. So that product management discipline, we can learn a lot from. And then what is our product? Well, we put together a training program and we wanna, we wanna roll this out. And I think a lot of people are you know, into the school of, okay, let's get something out there as quickly as possible and we'll see sort of the results. Well, a product manager would tell you, let's iterate, let's test it, let's get feedback, let's get focus groups, let's engage with um, organizations that are the potential buyers. Well, 
let's engage with the leaders within our organization as product managers of our training product in the same way that these external disciplines have been really well evolved to uh, to respond to. Let's do alpha testing. Let's do beta testing. Let's collect data. Let's get feedback. Um, so, I mean, we could we could talk for longer than this podcast about all the valuable things in the product management discipline that we can apply to the training discipline. But those are the fundamentals. It, it's thinking of it as your product, thinking of your consumers as those internal clients that are consuming the education, getting a better understanding of them, uh, collecting data from them early on, and then building, iterating, and collecting data and continuing to iterate, um, whether that's the next training or the next year's version of this training, rather than doing the same thing over and over again that everybody complained about and no one got any value, you've got to look at it and go, how can we, let's look at the data, let's do that. The common analysis is super valuable. You know, if you've got a large organization, you pick out a hundred or a thousand comments and you just read them. Um, I don't use any high-tech tools. I read them. I, I go in Excel and I code a little bit about what are the sentiments, what are the common themes that are coming out. And this comes back to the, uh, you know, in the masses, if you get enough people, you get so many people saying the same thing over and over again. You get these common themes that are very addressable. And we have to think outside the box. How do we address those? Uh, and, and what are the all the options? Um, product managers also do a good job of looping the whole team in rather than being a, I'm an instructional designer and I'm going to sit in my cubby and I'm going to uh, design this. Let's get the team together and let's do a brainstorm of, look, we last year's training on, uh, you know, anti-bribery and corruption. Everybody had these three comments about it. What can we do? Let's, let's whiteboard some things to make, to address these comments. And maybe it was, it was boring and it was, you know, that, the acting and it seemed forced and, and the scenarios seemed fake. And so how can we address those? And what do you guys think about the content and, and really have a great brainstorming session and some action items out of that, that we can then apply and test with the next iteration. And iteration is key. That's a lot, what, you know, fast to fail within organizations, product development now, and then getting that feedback and iterating from there and growing is key. As long as you're growing, uh, your training and development organization, uh, and you're growing the capabilities and those growths are responsive to the needs of those internal clients, you're basically doing a little bit of product management to begin with. I'm, I'm just having a moment as I reflect in totality, the conversations I'm, I'm having, uh, especially within the L&D and, and its expanded uh, functions, it, it's, it almost feels like a tidal wave is building. Some are very advanced, like you. Yeah, you sound like a marketing product. You 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 don't sound like a, a chief learning officer. Would sound. I mean, this is m my opinion, right? I I don't know all of the chief learning officers, but some that I've talked to, it is not how they come across. I mean, you're thinking about your capabilities in an entirely new way. The old discipline, right? And these were your words, mm -hmm. is going away. You need to be. I think you use the words. You need to be an investigator now. Yeah, I mean, well, I will say this, there's a foundation of instructional design, there's a lot of research that has gone on on how you teach things and how people learn and all of that still applies. But the paradigm has shifted from, you know, we people operations, we've talked about this in general, it's a competitive landscape for talent out there. 
We want the experience of an individual within an organization to be as good as it can be. And if as a chief learning officer, I'm not evolving and I'm not uh, addressing that with the content that I create, uh, and I'm not stepping up my game and giving them a better and better experience, um, it's a part of their experience as part of the organization. Um, I think a lot of times, especially sales and and, uh, other parts of the organization spend a lot of their time consuming this training content. And it's, it's a big investment of their time. We talked about the return on investment of what we put into it, but then think about the opportunity cost on the other side. They could be doing something else, but they're spending time with your training. Hmm. And if you're wasting their time and if it's not relevant, and if you haven't put forth the best effort, then they're going to sense that. And that's going to be part of the overall experience, especially in this remote and hybrid world. Okay, so we're connected by Zoom. But sometimes the e-learning that I put out is a reflection of the organization. And it might be a pretty large percentage of what my experience is with the, the core people operations, the, the CISOs that you mentioned, the cybersecurity mm-hmm. teams. This, this is a reflection of them. And if, if it's not the highest of quality, then and it's not living up to my expectations and I feel like they're just mailing it in, that might make me, silly enough, look around. Because you mentioned it earlier, professional growth. People want to go somewhere that they can grow. I know I came to know before because they were talking all the right things and I knew that, sure, I had a great job and I could do what I needed to do training-wise, but I wanted to stretch myself. I wanted to continue to grow and if I don't feel like I'm getting that value out of the learning part of the organization where I'm continuing to learn things, I'm, it's continuing to push me to grow, to be a better employee, then, uh, you know, that's something that today's consumers will call them, but there really are employees and, and our colleagues are going to look uh, poorly upon. So we really have to represent the organization from the learning or, uh, part of the organization as good as we can. Uh, because it's a bigger and bigger piece of uh, their reflection of the organization in general. Yeah, it speaks to the employee experience, speaks to the brand. Mm-hmm. And if it's not done well, neutral impact is best case scenario. That could be negative. Yeah, and and as sure. you said, they start to look around. Now, if it's done really well, it could become a differentiator. Who, 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 you know, an organization that's able to accelerate upscaling, that's going to have more, um, mobility with, within the organization and careers, they're going to succeed. Um, but going back to the product management, it was also interesting. Some of the words you, you talked about in technologies, you talked about Google Analytics. Yeah. You talked about product market fit. Again, right. the deeper we went, the more I was checking in again in your title. I was like, yes, chief learning officer. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We we're talking about Google Analytics. Yeah. So do you, do you see your capabilities as we discussed the marketing analytics, product management? Do you see it grow and grow to continue to learn? including bringing in technologies that are being used to evaluate the impact of products being launched externally. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, you you uh, Google Analytics is a is a great tool to, you know, you could put it on a web page, you could put it on e-learning or you can use uh, similar tools to get where are people getting stuck? Where are they looking at things a couple of times looking at the same video within a training module and analyzing that data can give you great insights around um, how can we improve that going back to iteration and product management? How can we iterate even better? Uh, product market fit, right? Testing this out. 
um, saying, okay, we're going to, we're going to roll this out to 1500 salespeople. So we're going to test out, we're going to do a sample um, from across the organization. And we're going to test that out with 20 from this part of the organization, 20 from this regionally. And we're going to get their feedback on, and the leadership's feedback on, is this a fit within the organization? Does it fit the culture? Does it fit what we're driving? And really asking those questions, right? Not asking, oh, was, did you like the training? Did the training uh, uh, give you enough good information? Um, actually asking, does it fit within the other communications within the organization that they're receiving? Does it fit within the broader scheme of what we're trying to do and where we're trying to drive the organization? Um, so internal product market fit is a key thing and a key driver because as we just mentioned, right, there's these all these messages that they're receiving. And if we can have an amplifying factor, if those messages are coordinated and if they're on brand and um, and part of the same uh, outlook. Now, if we if we go off script and we have a completely different slant on things, um, that's not going to resonate or it's going to create confusion. As you mentioned, it might create a negative because I'm hearing one thing from my leadership and then I'm hearing a completely different thing from the learning part of the organization. And to be able to uh, harmonize those mm. uh, messages is key to having it resonate. Whew, that's a whole frontier. Like that's a monster thing, right? Because if we think about the employer experience, in majority of cases, it's basically my work is getting done inside Microsoft Teams or Slack, and then I get a bunch of emails, and I'm going to go ahead and delete those. And L and D, change management, internal communications, and when I open them up, and they look like a book, like someone wrote a book in my email. Yeah. Yeah. Or Right. Or go log in somewhere and go watch something. It's like, I'll do it later. And by later, I mean never. I'm just going to flag the emails that require action and I'm moving on. In two days, an hour from that point, I forgot that I even received the email if they're not harmonized. And you, you, again, this is uh, thinking to marketing days, right? There was a moment when it wasn't harmonized and for maybe some brands still aren't, but majority of brands get it. They get it. They're like, oh, this is where you begun. This was your entry point. Here's where you are now. Or you're thinking of leaving us. Hold on a second. I am going to communicate with you because I care about your experience because I know there's an ROI. Do we care as much about the employee experience as we do customer experience? We should because the customers are the ones that build the products and take care of uh, the end customers. So for those of us that are in the learning organization, there are customers they're the way that we're going to have influence on the success of the organization. So we have to be listening to them. We have to make sure that that resonates. Uh, we have to make sure that we, we're, we're uh, making the attempt to raise the bar and to raise the expectations of what can be done. And, and I think there's, as you mentioned, there's, there's great stories out there. We're on the precipice of a great change in this area. And a lot of organizations are doing a lot of phenomenal work these days in making sure they're tied to business outcomes. They're doing, they're, they're still using the, all the science that we've learned about instructional design, instruction, distance education, these disciplines that are fantastically rich, but we're borrowing from mm -hmm. the marketing components, uh, product management components, where it makes sense and applying those. A huge thing that I find is, 
we have to recruit people into the learning organization that to traditionally in their mind, they never thought they were going to be building learning. They thought I'm going to be building, you know, videos for the big screen, or I'm going to be doing animations uh, for some large animation studio, or I'm going to be building games. And we have to loop these people in and say, you know what, that, that was your career path, but you can really make a difference in the learning organization and, and use your talents to be able to apply to these great outcomes and make a difference. So part of how we do that is building a team. Do we need people that have the instructional design, uh, the learning experience, how to train people? Yes, of course, that's the basis for, and that's the core of, mm -hmm. but they need to be surrounded by people who have what you mentioned are these other disciplinary areas. Maybe they had marketing communications, right? And now I'm recruiting them to come into the learning organization and I'm using a title that they can relate to because I need that. I need to fill that hole because that is now a huge part of what we do in learning if we're going to do it effectively. I'm grateful, John, that we connected because um, you know, I've been on this journey for, for some time. And about, a, I think it's about a year and a half or two years ago, we began to wonder marketing capabilities and, and analytics. We, we talked about product a little bit, but marketing, how to bring that inside the learning organ aspects of the organization. And this conversation and, and many others have had really validating. So I just, I appreciate it. What I want to leave our audience with is a piece of advice. Yeah. So again, keep in mind, it's not just L&D. We've got change management, HR, innovation. Now we've got technology folks tuning in. We're really across functions, but people operations, I think is a good way to say it. This is the umbrella or the people initiatives. Um, what advice would you give for them to pursue the journey that you're on? So Adam, yeah, I mean, the, the biggest advice is surround yourself. This has been great. Uh, I agree. And it's these sort of conversations and um, it's, it's a great opportunity to surround yourself with like-minded people and spend time. Uh, that's the biggest piece of advice. Thinking about people operations differently because there's real energy around this and it's a, it's a huge movement and there are folks who, who have done great work. And so networking and reaching out to people who think about people operations and, and the, all the functions within it in this way that uh, we want to treat our parts of our organization the individuals as that consumer and we want to delight them and we want them to be happy with what we do and we want to bring real value we want to have it not just resonate with them we want to say that was really useful for me and if you find people who are doing that they're they're terrific uh, latch on to what they're doing correspond with them, make time for them, have these sort of thoughtful discussions because you'll come up with great ideas that you can incorporate into your own people operations uh, to be able to use. Amazing advice, John. Appreciate the time. Looking forward to staying in touch for you to be a part of the movement. And uh, thank you for the brilliance today. Yeah, thank you, Adam. Really appreciate it. Over and out.